hey, this is Ed. So this is a podcast, is that right? This is. Okay. We're officially podcasting right now. That's awesome. This is Straight from the Cutter's Mouth. Welcome to Straight from the Cutter's Mouth, a retina podcast. At least once a week, we aim to bring you insights and perspectives from the world of vitreoretinal surgery. I am your host, Dr. Jay Schreeder. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by three Retina Fellowship Program Directors to discuss adjustments given the COVID-19 pandemic and social distancing guidelines to Retinal Fellowship interviews this year. Doctors Prithvi Murthanjaya from Stanford University, Shirag Shah from OCB Tufts Fellowship in Boston, and Christina Wang from Baylor University are going to join me for a panel discussion of how do we adjust in terms of how we construct interviews, are the evaluations for applicants going to be different, and what these fellowship directors look for in prospective applicants. Remember, this podcast episode and many other podcast episodes may qualify for CME on the American Academy of Ophthalmology website. Just click on the link in the episode description. None of the presenters for this episode had any relevant financial disclosures besides their, dis- their disclosure being loyal to their home program. And remember, you can find this episode and all our prior episodes on our website, retinapodcast.com. Straight from the Cutter's Mouth is now honored to be joined by three Retina Fellowship Program Directors from across the country. First, in East to West Coast fashion, Dr. Shirag Shah from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, he works with the fellows in the Tufts OCB Combined Fellowship. Shirag, welcome back. Thank you, Jay, for having me. Next, from Houston, Texas, first time on the program, Dr. Christina Wang, who works at Baylor Medical Center, uh, Texas Children's, as well as the um, Texas Medical Center. I must be missing a hospital. Probably Ben Taub is the hospital I'm missing, Christina. You got it, Jay. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, all the way in the West Coast, waiting for his takeout, Dr. Prithvi Jaya at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. Prithvi, I hope you don't mind that you added, we added you. I'm just jealous because I haven't eaten dinner yet, and I'm three hours ahead of you. It's uh, all good, Jay, and a pleasure as always. Thank you. So this is a idea that was generated by fellows who heard our podcast about ophthalmology residency interviews, and were like, hey, this is a retina podcast. How come you're talking about residency interviews? We didn't talk about retina fellowship interviews. And so many of the same issues you'll see in a pandemic and socially distant year that applied to ophthalmology residency will also apply to vitreoretinal fellowship, but there's certainly differences in the process. So let's start with this. And Christina, I'll let you go first. What are kind of your program's planned adjustments to interviews this year? And I'll start by just admitting at Baskin Palmer, where I work, we are still in the process of kind of deciding how we're going to structure the interview. So maybe you don't have concrete plans, but what have you discussed internally at your program for how you plan to construct your interviews? This is, we're in the very beginning stages, probably like a lot of programs. And, uh, you know, we've had to pivot very quickly, I think, through this whole pandemic. And before you know it, July's here, and July's always a really busy month, and all of a sudden it's August. So it's definitely time to, I think, hunker down and just start thinking about details and how we're going to do this. But um, we are going to go virtual. So that's the first thing. Um, I think probably all of us have received that um, notification from the AUPO in May, where they recommended that all interviews for this coming cycle be conducted virtually. And again, it was a recommendation, not a mandate, but um, we decided to to comply with that. So um, we're still hashing out details, like I said, and I think it's going to be great to hear all of your guys' thoughts as well. But you know, I think that what we're planning to do is conduct it over our favorite platform, Zoom. 
And we're going to have basically, four, there's four components, I think, of an interview day, right? There's the introductory session, there's the interviews themselves, um, a chance to informally interact with fellows and with other candidates, which is always probably my favorite part of, of an interview day. And then, of course, the tour. So I think we're able to more or less preserve all these elements um, in our proposed uh format. So we're going to have everyone together, I think, for an introductory session to talk about the program in general. It's where I usually present like a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, and that way, uh, it can serve the purpose of, you know, everyone seeing each other's faces as a group. And uh, before we break down into smaller groups, and then also have a chance to answer any general questions about the program itself. And as far as the tour goes, that part will be eliminated, obviously, because you can't be in person. But what we are going to have our fellows do is actually lead a videotape recording um, that we're going to send out to all the applicants. So they're going to basically walk through all the different facilities, show them around, show them the equipment, et cetera, and just really brief. But we'll send that out before the interview day so that everyone can get a feel of where they would be spending their time during their fellowship. And then, of course, the bulk of it really is the interview um, sessions themselves, as well as that chance to interact and network with each other. And the way I think we're going to do that is after that introductory opening, we're going to break people out into groups of three to five. And they'll have a chance basically in those breakout sessions to spend time with each other and our two current fellows. And then the faculty, and we have a smaller faculty here, only only four people, so it makes it a little bit easier. But we're going to pull one of those people out at a time and have a big panel-style interview. Um, and then after they're done with the interview, they'd go back into the breakout session. And then once that group is completely done and everyone has had a chance to interview, we'll basically have them sign out and have the new group of three to five sign in. So that's kind of what we're thinking. I think this will work well. And like I said, we're trying to keep as many of the elements that people like about the interview day because it's, of course, more than just that 15-minute conversation with the faculty. Sharad, Christina is always such a tough act to follow because that's about as organized an approach. I don't think I've ever been that organized in terms of that approach. Um, but, you know, my question, I'm, I'm and we can kind of... I'm calling her to balance her out. Yeah, but, so I'm going to give you some fodder. So I, I did a little bit of background research. So I first offered that we haven't done anything here uh, and we're still working on our planning. But I spoke to our residents who are interviewing for Plastics Fellowship, and they're currently in the process of going through virtual interviews. And... You know, N of two, but some of the feedback they gave me, um, they thought that the pre-recorded videos are really nice uh, to save time. They thought that kind of having larger panels than one-on-one -on -one interviews was nice in terms of not having to do so many interviews. Um, I remember interviewing your program. It was several two-on-one -on -one interviews, but it was all condensed into a morning uh, and then an afternoon session. Um, have you talked all about changing the format or any other thoughts to add on top of what Christina said? Um, so good, good question, Jay. And actually, I remember us meeting at our interviews and that's how we became friends. That was the first time we met. Um, I, uh, so Christina's, what Christina's program is doing is really fantastic. And we're actually doing uh, something very similar. So we're, our idea was to try to preserve the interview day as, as best as we could. So we're, we're still doing the exact same, you know, October 22nd day uh, that we had planned a year ago. Uh, and we're going to try to have the format be exactly the same. Our, our program, um, maybe a little bit bigger we have i think we have 16 attendings and nine of us uh, are involved with the interviews and so uh, as you mentioned there's two almost identical sessions a morning session and an afternoon session i really like uh, christina's idea of mailing out the tour video we were what we what we typically do is we have um an introductory session that kind of goes over the program and then uh, and that's given by jeff Heyer and jay duker and then our current four fellows give 
uh, kind of a day in the life of a fellow, and they give like a very fun presentation with pictures of us playing ping pong and swimming and stuff like that. And then we were going to potentially throw in the the tour after that uh, as part of the uh, interview day, and then have you know various two attending one uh, fellow interviews. But then I think that the best opportunities to really learn about the program and also learn about the applicants uh, is during the lunch time and during the dinner time. We have we all have lunch together, we all have dinner together, and like a cocktail thing and sushi and uh, etc. And that's a really fun time where we can kind of uh, hang out, uh, low stress, usually after interviews for most people at lunch and then at dinner, and uh, really learn about the program and really learn about fellows, the, the, the applicants are applying for the fellowship. Um, and, and also our fellows are a very good resource for the applicants as well, I think, to kind of give them you know, the, the, the lowdown. So I, we, we actually did a dry run um, last week trying to, trying to simulate the interview using a program called Discord. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. I, I guess mm-hmm. it's popular in the gaming community. And it was, I would say, okay. The, the sound quality wasn't that good great but they were our administrator our it guy had a lot of control of moving people around from room to room and i think next week we're doing another practice run using zoom which is sort of tried and tested uh, and, and we'll, we'll try to do it with breakout rooms and stuff and then in an effort to try to emulate the dinner experience and or the lunch experience we've we've debated about sending food to all of our applicants at the same time uh, which is going to be tricky, I think, because of the the time difference on the West Coast and everything in the uh, a Zoom dinner slash cocktail hour hangout, where you can just more informally uh, meet and greet uh, folks. But we're still working out the details. So that's kind of the idea. You know, Prithvi, one of my favorite memories um, of interviewing as for residency is going to Stanford and having this delicious dinner that the residents took us out to. This was many, many years ago, uh, before your time there. Uh, and Chirag brought up an interesting point, in addition to other points, is that we're used to you know taking the applicants out and meeting them and spending time with them socially, and we still want to feed them. We actually had this discussion for the residency this morning, and part of it was the ethical question one of our residents brought up is, you know, can we really just give them money to buy food? How do we order it? And we're actually working on maybe ordering each person food and somehow coordinating it with a, a social Zoom hour, for example. But so we're kind of in a brave new world in a lot of ways, Prithvi. There's probably some advantages to what we're doing. Um, but what have you guys thought about? What sort of things have you brainstormed? And let's start a segue into our next topic, which is how do programs, what, how are we going to virtually evaluate applicants differently? Or what sort of things, if, if you're a fellowship director out there who's listening saying, hey, I'm listening to three fellowship directors at big, well-known programs. I want to know how, how do I kind of evaluate these applicants virtually? What sort of advice would you have? Um, so hats off to um, Christina and Shrog for um, having put so much thought into this. So we've traditionally um, had a very early interview date, and uh, that uh, preceded my arrival here. So we're actually um, at the tail end of September, um, which you know has traditionally been you know we kind of put ourselves out there um, up front, which means that we're going to have to not mess up so that um, you know when everyone else has has refined their um, uh, their program, we're not going to look, um, you know, that far, uh, th- that shabby. But I think um, a lot of this will come down to just, how, you know, how well it organizes. And I think, you know, since 
everyone's used to now, now being on these um, complex uh, uh, Zoom things, it's going to come down to just how well our administrative staff is going to be able to manage the process. Um, you know, we're typically a half-day interview group, um, and then the afternoon the faculty retreat into a cave, and then we uh, figure out like who we're, we're ranking, and then um, the afternoon people will spend touring the campus, and then we usually have dinner at at my house, um, which is like a really I think a you know a fun time um, where everyone can kind of relax, and that takes advantage of the fact that people are coming from. You know, across the country um, from the East Coast if they're coming to interview with us. So I think we're going to um, still try to, you know, keep that in play, but the time zone is going to really get get us um, because if we're going to try to start early in the morning, that's going to be um, irresponsible for our East Coast applicants. So it's probably going to induce a bit of a change for us, but just as Christina nicely laid out, I think those same elements fall into place and it's a matter of just getting um, people in and out of the breakout rooms um, as they come through. I will give an idea, and, and uh, credit goes to um, the uh, iVista uh, MedEd company. They hosted the whole eye imaging conference last week, um, and uh, Jeremy Kupot, who um, runs it, uh, had a great idea. You can get Grubhub to um, do like a $50 Grubhub gift certificate. And um, I'm sure all the other major uh, delivery places do it as well. So um, the speakers got a $50 Grubhub gift certificate for dinner time, and it was like valid for like a 12-hour period. So people can order what they want. Um, there were like really high fees. I'll just point it out that you know it was you paid a lot in tax and and fees by the end of it. But I think if you guys are all instead of you sending, you know, 50 door dashers, you know, to all of the applicants at the same time, you could uh, send them the certificate, they can order it, and it'll probably show up. And I think that's not unreasonable. Um, uh, Chirag, I think you can also, you know, like liquor shops will deliver for you as well on Grubhub. So that may be a way if you guys wanted to do dinner or something nice like that, you can. Um, can, can I call them right that. now? <laughs> you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm ordering as we speak, so we need him to Jay finish this. Dinner. Okay, guys. Get yeah. yeah, this would this would um, be a good time Jay, to say. To your other point. Yeah. Well, before you go, this would be a good time to say none of us have any Grubhub related disclosures. Uh, I believe. Yeah, I hope so. Exactly. I'm sure there. I'm sure there. I'm sure there are many other um, delivery places, but you can check that out um, as an option for anyone out there, um, and and send me a dinner while you're at it. Um, but Jay, I think your point is, um, you know, how are we going to evaluate folks? And, and, you know, we've been thinking a lot about that because there's something magical about, you know, the gut feeling you get when you sit with somebody, um, whether it's their, how smooth they are or how well they articulate or the energy that they bring into a room. Um, but also sometimes like an awkwardness, like, you know, just, they just didn't seem to fit the vibe of the program or maybe they were just a little stiff and, and whatnot. Um, so I think that is going to be a bit of a, um, an intangible that you're not going to get at a, on a Zoom call. Um, but I think you will still get a sense of it. I mean, this is a challenging um, change in, in how we usually do things. So how people rise to that challenge, how well they you know, portray themselves and um, express themselves, I think will be you know, part of that evaluation process. Um, I think there will be a lot of, you know, peacocking based on how well the application looks um, as well, like it or not. Um, but I still think 
personalities will, you know, shine. Um, I think we're going to read letters, um, you know, even more carefully than than before. And probably there's going to be a lot of, you know, after the interview, um, calling around. Um, One of the things that has been going around, and I'd love to hear people's thoughts, is that director and me, you know, we have some really good applicants in our program this year. And, um, you know, we might stick with, a, you know, a known local product um, rather than kind of open it up to our, our typical search um, across the country. Um, I didn't, you know, we're not taking that approach, but I didn't know if uh, that's something that the other um, programmers have been you know, talking about internally or, you know, with others. Prithvi, I'm going to make uh, one comment on that. I think that that is one of the things we talked about at the residency and fellowship level is that by nature, physicians are risk averse and program directors are generally risk averse and not necessarily in a bad way. We understand that most applicants actually could do a very good job and be excellent fellows and residents. But necessarily, you just don't want to take a gamble on somebody who may be a problem or may cause issues in your residency or fellowship, which thankfully is few and far between in, in the great field we have. Um, and then when you can't meet people, obviously, if you if you know someone personally who you've worked with who has a good track record, it makes it a lot easier to kind of talk yourself into that. Um, and there's pros and cons. And, and I think that that will be interesting to see at both the residency and fellowship level. If there are some, for example, at residency level, there are certain programs that always seem to take maybe one or two of their residents from their um, low, you know associated medical school. It will be interesting to see if those proportions go up at all this year um, with, again, a, you're not getting externs from other programs, and B, you're not getting the opportunity to meet the people from other programs. Um, and the other would be maybe the applicants become a little risk averse and don't want to move far and uncertain times want to stay closer to their home base if they're from their home city or their family or support group. It'd be interesting. But uh, Christina, any thoughts on, on what Prithvi was saying there? No, I think that he makes uh, excellent points, and I do think there there might be a trend of more of that happening this year, but we're going to try to keep it very similar to the way we approach any other interview season and really try to see, you know, there's so much talent and enthusiasm in these, you know, graduating residents each year. We're really going to try to kind of cast our net, and, you know, we have two actually applying from our own residency this year who are both excellent, um, but we also encourage our residents to try to get out, just experience something different, and I think there's some value to that as well, um, but I like what Prithvi said about, you know, really retina is a small field. So we always pick up the phone, talk to each other, you know, kind of vet people a little bit further beyond what their paper application shows. So, and, and, you know, with Zoom, the, the nice part is, yes, we're not going to be able to shake their hand in person like we normally do. But I think you can still convey a lot, you know, emotionally, energy-wise. Um, through the screen that, um, you know, I, I feel that we're still going to be able to evaluate people quite well. It might take a little bit more reaching out to our friends and colleagues to, to say, hey, Jay, you know, what do you think about this person and get your honest feedback about it. Um, but uh, that between that and letters and, and everything, I think we're going to still have a really successful match. At least we're hoping for that. And Chirag, again, we'll use this as a segue point. We can talk more about this point further. But for, you know, fellows or excuse me, residents applying for fellowship, we, Prithvi and Christina kind of both kind of reference the things that the attendings do and the fellowship directors do to kind of tell whether someone's a good applicant. If you were advising an applicant, what would be kind of your advice for making an impression in a Zoom interview? Um, that's a good question, Jay. So uh, l- let me just, I wanted to make one point and then I'll answer that question. For, for us, by the time folks get to the interview stage, they pretty much walk on water. I mean, most of these 
people I feel like they they could peel my ILM during the interview with chopsticks because they're so good. I mean, these these applicants, I feel like they just get stronger and stronger every year. And so honestly, our our approach has been for 90 plus percent of the folks that get to the interview stage is is to almost like to recruit them because they're all so good. And um, I, I often think that if we, you know, we, we, we get about a hundred applications, we interview about 18 and then we could probably take our top, any, any two people in our top 16 and have a great class. Uh, Cause there's so many good applicants out there. So I, I think that um, from to answer your question, Jay, I think that um, for an applicant, I think just, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's a little bit harder to integrate humor into a Zoom interview. And I think, you know, you're, because most of the time people aren't even wearing pants. And so it's a little bit, you know, it's hard to take them <laughs> seriously. But the, the uh, I think that um, being professional, mature, uh, but showing that you're, you know, because it, it, it ultimately fellows are just, they're extensions of us to our patients, but also, they're, they're folks that we spend a lot of time with. So just being trustworthy and, and, and uh, but all kind of fun to be around and be in the operating room with late at night uh, on the weekend or whenever it may be. Um, so uh, I was actually just talking to an applicant yesterday and answering this very question. I think um, just being yourself, I think it's, I think the, the, the one thing where Zoom protects people is we also place a lot of weight in, how the applicants interact with our current fellows and our staff and our administrative team. And so we, we miss a lot of that kind of feedback because sometimes our administrative team will be like, Oh, that person was great. They were so polite and kind, mm-hmm. or that person was really like rude or, you know, and so we miss that kind of stuff. So I think in, in that regard, it's sort of, you know, the, the applicants are a little bit more protected, but I think an applicant should just be themselves and uh, you know, yeah, kind of put their best foot forward and, and being the honest, diligent, caring, you know, friendly person that we would want to spend a lot of time with. Those are some great points, Shirag. And, it, you know, one of the things I've always commented, they always say that the meek shall inherit the earth. But I think sometimes even a traditional interview can hurt the applicant who's, quote unquote, a little bit quieter. Um, I feel like I've been in committees the last couple of years for fellowship and residency, and I always try to advocate or really dig deeper in applicants who are a little quieter, a little more unassuming. Um, because I think sometimes those are some of the best fellows and residents and physicians you'll find. It's just not everyone is as extroverted, and you can be hurt for being introverted in a in-person interview. And I think a Zoom interview makes that even tougher uh, because it's not, again, a very organic format um, that we're used to. Um, Prithvi, you have residents that will be applying out. What would you tell them regarding prepping for interviews? If you had, for example, a quieter applicant, what would you tell them about finding that balance between not maybe coming across as too aggressive, but you don't want to be viewed necessarily as passive in a virtual format where you lose body language cues, you use kind of the personal contact of, for example, even a handshake or uh, to end the interview. So I think, um, you know, in, in any interview, you have to be yourself. And, you know, whether you're quiet as a, you know, meaning that the loudest person in the, in the room, you can still, um, you know, captivate someone's attention and interest. So, um, I think in the setting of a of a Zoom interview, some of the subtle things is you know kind of look in the camera and smile when you need to and and um, um, you know say please and thank you I guess, but you can't really suddenly become like you know life of the party if that's not who you are as as a person. 
So I would still say that they should, um, you know, focus on their strengths, like know the things that they're talking about, um, realize that um, there may be these awkward pauses. So to be able to, you know, really know um, everything about themselves on their um, application and just be, know that there could be this funny pause and you have to be ready to kind of think on your feet. Um, it's probably, you know, helpful that a lot of our residents now are, are doing a lot of their case conferences and presentations on Zoom. So they're obviously familiar with the uh, platform. Um, but, you know, make sure you um, uh, uh, kind of eliminate some of the intangibles, you know, have a good uh, have a good microphone and make sure there's good lighting and, you know, um, have your camera positioned just right. So you can kind of give yourself the, the best um, intangible advantage. Um, but I think you have to be true to yourself and, um, you know, your personality is, is what it is through all these years um, and let it shine. Um, I'm not going to tell them to do something that's uh, not natural because I think that's going to be hard to uh, be consistent over, you know, a whole half a day of interviewing or a full day. And I think that's such a good point, Jay, if I can add to what Prithvi just said. I mean, you, you definitely want to be yourself because you still want to convey yourself, but you have a little bit of a more limited opportunity, I think, to make that first impression just because you're only seeing, you know, a person's face and top of shoulders, basically. So I do think that regardless if you're a little quieter or, or, or more, you know, um, you know, um, kind of gregarious um, in personality, I think you do have to try to ramp up the emotion meter a little bit, because I think people in retina in general, like people who are interested, engaged, energetic, so you really want to try to make sure you portray that. You don't want to come across as disinterested, um, especially inadvertently. So, And then the other thing I'll just add to, to um, kind of making a good impression, I think um, both Drog and, and Prithvi made some really great points, but just some like really simple stuff you don't think about. Like think about where you're going to be filming yourself and what your background is going to look like. You want to make sure that's professional. And then shut off all distractors. I, I find myself forgetting to do that a lot. Um, but, you know, stuff like your email account that's open in the background of your laptop that dings every time you get an email or your phone that might, you know, where a text might come through. So you want to just try to keep that as much of a, you know, professional setting as, as you would in an in-person interview. Yeah, awesome points. And, and let's tie this kind of to our last point, right? So let's talk about the fellows we currently have. You know, I think that there's a lot of hidden tragedies and tragedies should be definitely understated given all the real tragedies in terms of uh, families that have been torn apart and deaths and the, the PTSD for the doctors taking care of them and the huge just kind of changes to the world. But there's all sorts of hidden tragedies in, in this pandemic. You know, there's the high school students who didn't get a real graduation. There's the people, the kids in school who didn't get to celebrate birthday with their friends. And for our fellows, you know, one is kind of a a loss of cases, which we can talk about in a second. Second is they're losing, especially fellows who are at programs that allow them to go to meetings and courses and network. They're losing a lot of that in this transition to virtual education. We're coming off the American Society Retina Specialist Annual Meeting, which was transitioned to a virtual format very successfully this past weekend. But I would say, you know, one of the highlights of being a fellow, I remember, was going to certain meetings and seeing things and and not just the learning, but meeting different people and meeting kind of the faces that have made up the field. Because we have, again, a very small field, as Christina said. So, Christina, we'll kind of sneak back. What are, what are you kind of doing to keep your fellows engaged, you know, if given that they may not have in-person interviews for this year? What are your ideas in terms of getting them into meetings or courses? And then we can also talk a little bit. Yeah. What about like other things like surgical volume or helping them find a job in a market that may not be as amenable to job hiring, given that volumes are down in a lot of areas. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think those are all such valid concerns, and they do concern both, I think, the fellows as well as the attendings, because we do want them to make sure they're able to graduate, you know, in two years as very strong and competent and ready fellows. So there's definitely some challenges that I think some some of which we'll be able to overcome and some of which, you know, some of which we may not. In terms of the meetings, I mean, Jay, you're very involved with VBS. You've, you guys have put on a fantastic series of virtual meetings thus far with one more part that's coming next month. And I think that, though, you know, that that is a great example of um, an opportunity where you can have education as well as social networking um, amongst colleagues and uh, amongst other leaders in our field. So I really encourage our fellows to get on as many different meetings like that. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be a big meeting like VBS or ASRS. It can be some of those CME um, programs that are, I'm sure we have, um, we receive a lot of um, flyers and stuff for. So those are all you know, ways that they can continue building on their knowledge and that they can also continue getting exposed to people to whom they can't travel to, to, to hear. So I definitely encourage them to do that. And then in terms of the surgical volume, definitely a huge concern. Um, in fact, one of our hospitals, Ben Taub here, which is our big county hospital, we still don't have regular block time at this point because we've had a recent resurgence in numbers um, here in Houston. So it's definitely, I think, going to be an uphill battle. Um, but uh, what we've tried to do is really support our fellows in all surgical experiences. So, for instance, if they're assigned to my private clinic, um, they're always welcome to leave if there's a case where they can participate in, even if it's observing our second-year fellow operate. I think it's still worthwhile just to be in the operating room setting. And then I always encourage, you know, pandemic or non-pandemic, I think that You've got to make the most. You've got to maximize the yield from every surgical case that you do. So we have them record all their cases. I'm always happy to review those videos with them so that they can replay those steps of surgery and see what they did well, what they can do better next time, and then taking careful notes and obviously following out those patients to kind of know what happens when you do X, Y, and Z is really important. And then, of course, there's a wealth of other videos and um, tutorials and things like that that are available virtually now that I think they can take advantage of. So we just have to cross our fingers that we'll get through this and that our numbers will eventually pick back up. I think they're starting to in different parts of the country. Um, but for now, I think trying to just make the most of the situation through the resources that we do have is super critical. Great, great points. And, and so Prithvi, in addition to Christina's points, what other things are you doing to support your fellows? And again, a lot of fellows who are second years now, they're entering July, they're thinking about getting a job. Um, how do you tell them to kind of navigate that process? You know, it, it's almost like the job market is down in many fields and, and retina is going to fluctuate too, but medicine as a whole is facing a lot of uncertainty and retina is no exception. Yeah, um, the job situation for graduating um, second year fellows is uh, definitely a challenge. I think that the um, the notions of, you know, picking a part of the country I want to go to or academics or not, I think um, they, everyone has to look broadly and kind of think about opportunities that you never thought would be opportunities. Um, you know, one of the things that are pros and cons, uh, as we talk about, um, you know, the private equity world coming in, is that, you know, the private equity models still require you know, growth, and they're looking for um, retina specialists to fill positions um, in these large groups that have kind of joined with them. So I think that there are clearly opportunities. It's just that the confluence of, you know, the uptake of private equity and what that job market would look like and this whole 
COVID situation um, makes it a little harder to have like a track record behind, you know, those types of jobs or, um, or such. Um, I, I still think that it comes down to um, how good jobs are always found, you know, talking, it's who, you know, um, the best jobs aren't always the ones that are advertised. So talking to your mentors um, and I think as mentors and uh, people that are responsible for training, it's even a bigger burden for, for us to see if we can find positions for, uh, for our uh, uh, trainees. I wouldn't be surprised if there may be upticks in people um, staying on in their home institutions, if there's opportunities um, considering additional uh, training uh, paths, maybe a, a second fellowship or a, you know, a research year or things of such. Um, I think this whole COVID time has forced us to reevaluate what might be our typical paths in life. So um, I think things can change. And um, being flexible is probably part of it, um, you know, in terms of what part of the country you'll be in, what kind of practice. Um, but even the timeline to, you know, kind of an established career on your own. Um, so we're working hard to try to, you know, get um, the word out about our fellows and trying to find opportunities that are that are available. Um, and I think it's probably behooves the community to kind of share those opportunities as they're um, as they come up. Um, but it's a it's a very interesting time um, for uh, for graduates. Shirag, uh, you and I have talked about sort of financial planning for doctors, not just retina fellows, and kind of planning ahead and. Obviously, finding a job is a huge part of that calculus. We've, we've talked about that before. Um, talking about job hunt, education, like we talked about, getting fellows to kind of the North experiences, both the tangible experience of the OR experiences and also the intangible experience of fellowship. How are you, for example, maintaining a level of camaraderie at a very close fellowship program? I, I first want to say I very much agree with everything that Prithvi and uh, Christina said, and, 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 and I couldn't have said it any better. Um, the... Uh, I think maintaining camaraderie, I think um, that part's easy. You know, I think that just sort of has, I think the, the program is designed to, to have a lot of camaraderie. And um, the, I mean, maybe there is even more now because <laughs> we're spending so much time together. Um, you know, Massachusetts um, is it, at, the, at the current moment, and this may change, we're, we're doing okay in terms of uh, COVID cases. And so uh, I feel badly for... Um, my fellows who just graduated because March, April, May, and June were very, very light. But um, starting in mid-June till now, all the backlog of cases have, have happened and, and all the patients who didn't come in who needed surgery uh, are coming in. And so our, our volume has just sort of skyrocketed because we didn't do very much for the last few months. Um, so I think that that's very much to the benefit, of course, of the current fellows. Um, I think the big question is, uh, the, you know, the job hunt. And I actually have my fellows start um, in July of their first year looking for a job. So we, we start very early. Um, and and that maybe that's just because I, I tend to time for, for things that I do. So I pass it on to my fellows as well. And there's no doubt this, you know, this cycle and the next cycle and potentially the next cycle are, are challenging cycles. But the other silver lining is that certain practices in retina, well-known practices being acquired by private equity companies, I actually think that that might change with the uncertainty of the economy and the uncertainty of medicine and, and, and retina in particular. Um, 
this is my personal good thing, if there were more independent retina practices out there and less that are um, controlled by equity. Um, and the, the other possible, you know, silver lining, and maybe this is sort of looking at it in a backwards way, um, I've seen the pandemic, uh, certainly in our practice, I've seen the pandemic nudge folks who are still kind of hanging on um, into retirement just for, for virtue of trying to stay safe. And those might create opportunities for young people to, to grads and uh, to come in and, and you know, uh, take a practice uh, that, that has patients. Um, so there may be some opportunities. Those jobs, those good opportunities are, are very much word of mouth. But I do tell fellows that unlike marriage to a spouse, um, it's okay if, you know, during the pandemic, if you take a job that's reasonable, maybe not your dream job, but then you end up getting your dream job a couple of years later. That's also an okay. Well, this whole panel has been super generous with their time, and so I won't keep you much longer. I just want a minute or less to kind of wrap up from each one of you, final thoughts for fellow applicants or fellows out there, or program directors, any last things you want to say. Uh, Christine, I'll let you go first. Uh, just to, you know, take it in stride and, and be flexible, which uh, both Shrog and Pritzvi mentioned earlier. I think that's so important. You know, remember what's important in life and not stress over uh, some changes that we might not have expected. We're all doing much differently now, whether it's teaching or practicing or interviewing. <laughs> um, it's going to be a little, um, it's going to take a little bit of being nimble here. But uh, like I said, I think we're all still very to be practicing in such a subspecialty, and we're all going to get through this. Prithvi? This fellowship class of 2020 is going to be, um, you know, eternally linked, and I think we all enjoy the camaraderie and friendship we made during um, our fellowship community. And I think this group will be different. It'll still be, you know, the, the friends that you make now you'll share your toughest cases with. So, um, you know, take the time in the way that the world is now, how you connect with folks. Um, you know, you're just going to support each other through the process. Um, I, you know, honestly, I think I probably have a lot to learn from the, uh, the applicants and how they can get to um, uh, kind of gel and communicate with each other. Um, it's still a great field, so um, look broadly and have fun. It's still, um, you're going to meet some great people, whether it's over Zoom, um, during the interview process. And uh, I think it's still going to be a, a, a good, it's a good day to go into retina. Chirag? I think it's important for fellows to realize that they have youth on, on their side. And so, yes, you know, this year and maybe next year might be a bit atypical and unusual, and, and they're going to be um, having virtual graduations and virtual interviews. But thats I don't think that's going to last forever. I, I think that, you know, most will have a 30, 35-year career ahead of them, and uh, they're going to, uh, we're going to go back to meetings. We're going to, we're going to, be in Paris for Red Society, sipping champagne, looking at Monet's, uh, like we did a few years ago, and uh, and it's um, it, it's just a short period of time where there will be some things that we do now that uh, we'll continue to do. I think there'll probably continue to be more uh, virtual teaching rounds, for example, at our institution, which has the opportunity now to include all the attendings rather than just the few attendings that are available. Uh, on and on a given day, uh, to, to the fellows' benefit, and so I think there there will be some some positives, and as I said before, some silver linings that come out of this pandemic. But in you know a one or two years out of a, a long thirty five year career uh, is is a, relatively speaking a short amount of time, and it is a 
a wonderful field and patients are even more grateful that we, we come in and help them every day. Um, and I think fellows that are going into it, uh, it's always a good time to go into retina. Guys, thank you so much for your time and for doing the things you do for retina fellows in the field of retina. Uh, thanks for your generosity. And hopefully at some point we'll definitely see each other on zoom soon. And hopefully at some point in the future in person, uh, Shirag Shag, Christina Wang, Prithvi Ruthen Jaya. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you, Jay. This was fun. Stay safe. Yeah. Yep. Bye. Stay safe, everyone. Take care. As always, you can find all of our episodes, all 253 of them, on our website, retinapodcast.com. It's R-E-T-I-N-A podcast.com. You can find, again, all episodes sorted by category. Uh, we even have a category set up for COVID-19 relevant episodes, including this one. So thank you again for supporting us. You can sign up to access those episodes either in the Apple or Android podcast app on your phone. You can sign up on the website to get emails to your inbox. Uh, there's a contact us uh, link as well as a subscribe link to get those emails directly. You can uh, contact me directly by emailing me at retinapodcast.gmail.com. That's R-E-T-I-N-A podcast.gmail.com. We love getting episode ideas. We love getting reviews in the app store. So anything you can do to support and help us, we really appreciate it. Thank yous to Drs. Muthran Jaya, Shah, and Wang are due right now, and they did an excellent job. I thank you to them all for their time. I know they're very busy. Thank you to Dr. Louis Kai, Dr. Mike Venacasa, and Dr. Angela Chang for their help with this episode. Thank you, listeners, for what you do on a daily basis, the articles you read and publish, the conversations you inspire here each week, and most importantly, the patient care you deliver each and every day. This is Jay Schrader signing off. Feeling. This is straight from the cut. <laughs>